Hi, this is Phil Greco, Senior Director of Brand Strategy at Monster Energy. And this is one-on-one -on -one with ADC Partners. Hi, this is Dave Almy of ADC Partners, and in this podcast episode, we're talking to Phil Greco, Director of Brand Strategy for Monster Beverage. Phil's perspective is a uniquely valuable one in sports marketing because he's seen the industry play out from all possible angles. He's worked for properties like the NBA, agencies like Wasserman, and for brands like M&M Mars, GoPro, and now Monster Beverage. As you can imagine, with a background like that, our conversation covers a lot of ground. We discuss Monster's incredible growth and the role sports played in it, the advantage challenger brands have over their legacy counterparts, the role that data plays in a company that's accustomed to making gut decisions, and so much more. We'll even learn the reasons why a ski resort would ever hand a college student a blowtorch and Phil's dental hygiene habits. Seriously. Thanks for listening. Phil Greco, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. Great to see you this morning. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. Now, look, the last time you and I talked, you were telling this, this great story about first jobs. And so I want to go back and I want to revisit. So before we jump into to Monster and sports marketing, there's so much there. If you can, give a quick refresh on the story of your first job. And I want you to connect it into sort of how that informs you even today. Yeah, sure. So for me, when I talk of first jobs, I think of those those early formative year jobs. And one of them, I was in college, I was looking for extra money. And uh, long story short, our local mountain was looking for snowmakers that could help them make snow, run the machines overnight. Uh, the shift was 12 midnight to 12 noon. Oh, it's just and, brutal. Uh, I mean, when I tell you they hand you a blowtorch, for example, to make sure that the, the fans that are blowing the snow don't ice up on the back. And that was just <laughs> like one of many of the nuances uh, that after a while, I was like, this is maybe not for me. This was, but it was a great experience. I'm trying to imagine me as a college student, somebody handing me a blowtorch and thinking that was a good idea. All right. So you're, you're up midnight to noon. I'm assuming it's freezing. Oh, it's so cold. Uh, you're you're outside on the mountain for <laughs> how cold was it? Yeah, very. <laughs> for like sixty to ninety minutes, and then you'd come in for a short break, heat up a hot pocket or something. Oh, I actually, God. after my first shift that next night, I missed an Oasis concert with my friends because you know that type of time change. Your body's not ready for it at any age. I so. don't think you are at any age. Exactly right. Even in that like sort of quick to rebound college student age, that's not even working. How, how long did that job last? Uh, not long. I think I was in it for <laughs> two months. And then I, I, I moved to a, a job at the movie theater in Moosick, Pennsylvania, by and where I went to college. So began your career in sports and entertainment. Look, at that's <laughs> called a natural segue. Rico, right there. Yes. That's how that happens. So let's, let's, let's do that. Let's make this segue. Because obviously, you are not at the top of the snowmaking mountain, right? You didn't, you didn't continue that career and become like the Olympic snowmaker. You no. really began this progression towards what I what you know, based on your history, and I, you want to go into that just a little bit here. Um, because you know, you've worked for just about every uh, aspect of the sports marketing stool, right? You've worked on the agency side at Wasserman, you worked on the property side with Teambo in the NBA, 
And now, like we talked, we're going to talk about like with Monster now. And I'm, I'm wondering if you think like that broad perspective, how does that how does that help you today? Right. As you as you build these kinds of programs. And I'm wondering if you have any standout moments from that particular history that you'd like to touch on. Oh, gosh. Uh, I mean, the the history is almost too long at this point, but that's that's um, volume two. We can work on that. Yeah, it's what I do appreciate was I obviously started my career in the agency world and I didn't even mean to get into sports, but Burton Snowboards was one of our clients. And that was my first, you know, toe in the in the water to sports you know, working with the athletes, working with people like Jake Burton, um, doing, you know, promotions, PR events around the Olympics, really opened my eyes to what, what a potential career path could be. Um, And, and just learned so much from that time and learned a lot from, from the athletes and someone like Jake Burton himself. So it was, it was a really, really fun time to learn that. And ultimately, you know, making a jump to a place like the NBA, you, as a, as a kid growing up playing basketball, rooting for, um, you know, all the basketball players, Michael Jordan and all those of the time, uh, what an incredible experience and getting more exposure to the business side, the, the teams versus the league and that relationship, especially at a place like Teambo. Oh yeah. I mean, I think I've said it a million times, like there's no better way to really dive deep into the, you know, the NBA has their business side. It seems like from the outside looking so dialed in and Teambo is really representative of that. Yeah. I think I give a lot of credit to people like David Stern to have the early vision to, to help prop up the teams and help them share best practices What's working in this market can be leveraged in this market. And um, luckily with Teambo, I got a lot of exposure across, you know, sponsorships, ticket sales, food and beverage, and, you know, how you, how you run a more effective organization. So it was a great experience. And so then after Teambo, did you go straight to the brand side? So I actually had a four-year stint at M&MRs before the NBA. Okay. Um, I was in sports marketing, NASCAR and the NFL, uh, with brands like M&M, Snickers, Pedigree, Wrigley. And uh, that was an incredible experience. But I think the NBA really elevated things for me, to be honest, because it gave me a broader exposure across a number of different brands and categories. We spent a lot of time in markets with teams that we were trying to to help elevate and and continue to learn and grow. So I think that was, that was a big piece uh, of the pie. Well then let's 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 talk about that right because you know we're talking about we're you know, the the sort of the origin of this conversation is going to be about brand building and sports and the utility associated with that. So you had a chance to work with brands like like established brands, M M&M and Mars. I mean, it's about as established as it gets. It's old, yeah. you know, you know, hundreds of years old company. I don't know if that's accurate. I'm kind of making that up on the fly. It is. You, you, all right. So yeah, I should, maybe I should just look like I know what I was talking about. Uh, you know, Swatch is in there too, but you've also work with challenger brands as well. Like you were at GoPro and that's about it. The ultimate challenger brand when they were coming up and, you know, certainly monster, probably not challenger now, but certainly yeah. in its earlier days was absolutely a challenger brand. What is, what does sports bring to the table for, for organizations as, as disparate as we're talking about here, like old world companies, new companies and things like that. What, you know, is it the same kind of benefits is it different. What's your perspective say on something like that? Yeah. So obviously every brand is going to have a little different of focus on their objectives, 
pillars, what matters most to them. For a brand like Mars, if you take a, a brand like Snickers in that portfolio, and they've been an NFL sponsor for 15, 16 years, the NFL is one piece of the larger marketing wheel, if you will. So when they built out from their hunger satisfaction is their DNA. Mm -hmm. And then from there, they build out now the campaign, you're not you when you're hungry, that's been for the last decade plus, that's their focus. And then how it comes to life, PR and media, the NFL is just one extension of that. And it's a, it's a very important one. They use sports quite a bit with sales to leverage relationships with retailers, get incremental displays, obviously get consumer excitement during key snacking periods, but it's, it's a piece of the puzzle. When you go to GoPro and Monster, it's way more central to the brand, the DNA, our, our marketing initiatives. It's, it's a part of our pillars. You know, Monster, we're all about action, motor, sports, music, and gaming. That's it. You don't see Monster in the NFL or in Major League Baseball, and you won't. And that's just how it is. And that's, that's, uh, that's okay. But, but sports, again, is there is no monster without sports, to be frank. There is no sports. There's no GoPro without sports as well. So that's, that's the difference, I think, inherently. And so participatory, what, right? I mean, like, like the GoPros, they're integral to the, like, being there and participating and not just a sign on the sideline, right? That integral part of it. And you could say the same thing about monster too, right? Athletes and how they're used and how they're seen with the product really play that intrinsic. So for the challenger brands, is it really about validating the product to a certain degree? Whereas if you're an M&M Mars and you've been around forever, it's all about those like much more sophisticated, hey, we have 50 vendors in the Northeast that we wanna make sure are pushing products so we get the store placements and all the things. It's, I don't want to call it more sophisticated, but let's call it deeper down into the marketing funnel. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, when Nick Woodman founded GoPro, he had another failed company he was launching and went on a surfing trip and literally took a disposable camera and strapped it to his wrist because he wanted to capture those moments as he was surfing and GoPro was born. And that's what sports do and sponsorships do. It brings your brand promise to life in a way that a commercial or a banner ad or nothing else can do. And for GoPro, clearly it's giving that first person perspective and experience that we, we never got to see when someone jumped off a cliff or you know, does a backflip. Um, so clearly GoPro, that use case was very central. With Monster, they were very uh, overt early on about supporting the scene. And if you're into motocross or supercross or skateboarding, there's not like a little league or, you know, youth sports. So right now it's changing, but uh, early on we wanted to support the scene because that, that was our DNA. And we said, we're all about middle America. We're all about the 18 to 34 year old, young male, aggressive feels, you know, left behind traditional sports doesn't speak to them. And that's what monster was about. So we're not going to pay money to tell you who we're about. We're going to support those guys and let, let the brand come to life through all the aggressive, crazy things that well, they did. And you hear that all the time in conversations about sports marketing today, the, the, the importance of authenticity, right? And I think it's probably easier for young brands like Monster to be authentic in those moments, right? Because they come up with the sports, like their origin story is almost completely tied to them. Whereas 
older established brands, they try to recreate paths that they're yeah. already on and that authenticity can be a little harder to come by. And I'm wondering if you experience that and when you look at your experience or working for established brands and, and, challenge, and challenger brands. Yeah, I think um, to your point, everyone wants to be a part of when they see this very avid, passionate fan base at a music festival or a big sporting event, you're like, how do I tap into that? And I think some larger companies, they just get in their own way. There's, there's, there's too many people and they're all trying to sort of figure it out. And I, I think a lot of the younger brands and these lifestyle brands, there's, there's a value of them being born on the left coast and being born on the beach. And they're like, well, we're already living the surf lifestyle. So I can bring that to life versus someone in a boardroom in, in Manhattan it, you're not going to connect the dots. The, that authenticity is not going to be there. That, that GoPro story is so perfect for that. We're literally a company born from the camera strapped to the wrist of someone going surfing and the yeah. entire lifeblood of the company kind of grows from that. But, you know, let's, let's, we're not here to really talk about GoPro. We haven't been there for a while. We're, we're here to talk about Monster. And I read this amazing fact about Monster recently, and particularly the, the stock price. Like if you had put your money on three different stocks in 2001 and you did put it on monster and you put it on apple computer and you put it on google today monster energy would be the top performing of those three it's gone like up like a hundred thousand percent or something which is kind of blows my mind particularly in a category as challenging as beverage right when you're growing a company so so it's a remarkable fact and I want to follow that up with a couple of questions. Like, is there an internal attribution to establishing that brand and the sports connectivity to that? That it was like, well, that's absolutely one of the reasons why we've performed so well. And then following that, following that answer, the challenges with maintaining that authenticity as this brand matures, which is clearly in the process, <laughs> clearly at a hundred thousand percent increase is doing. Yeah. So a uh, long question, Phil, Phil Greco, good luck. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. We'll see if I can hang with that. <laughs> so one, remember but... what the heck I asked. Yeah. So with, with monster, I think clearly it helps when you have founders that are laser focused on the consumer at the end of the day, and they saw an opportunity in the energy drink market in Europe and Asia, and obviously starting to bleed into the U S and they saw an opportunity to create a value proposition where Red Bull was a small can and high price. They said, we're going to create a can that was double the size and we're going to offer it for the same price. So right away, you're like, we're going to have a value play, which ironically Pepsi did to Coke 60, 70 years ago. So they were sort of taking a, a piece out of their book. And from there, focusing on that consumer, they've just been laser focused on creating great tasting quality products and then taking this, this energy blend and going, wow, we have an opportunity to take that blend and take it to coffee, to teas, to juice. And that was part of the mix. But the other piece to your point is our founders were literally in early days in the pits of Supercross races and X Games, walking around to athletes that weren't branded and going, I'll hand you $100 cash put this logo on your helmet, put this logo, put this patch on your vest and we'll pay you and we'll start a relationship. And it, there weren't contracts. It was literally a handshake back then. And I give such appreciation to them for their tenacity, their focus, 
we still say to this day at Monster, get shit done. And that's literally how the company was built. No different than going in and, you know, building cases and displays at a retailer. Um, that's how we handled our sponsorship contracts early on and then looking for others that sort of felt like they fit that mold. So, I mean, you know, again, going there's that word authenticity again. When you have the founders of the company walking in the pits, handing out stickers in exchange for $100 bills, that's that's such an amazing origin story and really lays the foundation for being able to share that brand vision and what you're trying to do, right? It, it all harkens back. It's almost like a superhero origin story and you know, to use some yeah. like sort of a trope right now, but this is not the same brand. And you and I actually talked previously about how we're moving away from that or trying to move away from that gut based decision-making yeah. into kind of where your role has really evolved into, which is much more on customer analytics and getting a good sense of what the market is saying and how that informs. So talk a little bit about you, if you would, about that push pull between emotion and gut and hey this is what we should be doing and getting shit done and look this is a different world we got a ton of data to play with we can make more informed decisions so we don't always have to go with our gut as a matter of fact maybe that's something we want to try to suppress a little bit how does how's that playing out right now so i mean look i think going back again having our founders still involved and again sometimes having founders involved this late into our growth 20 years in is a good thing. Sometimes it's not. Uh, with our founders, they're still laser focused like they were 20 years ago. And I think they created great products. They stayed very focused, very humble, the hustle, all that stuff. And that, that bleeds throughout the organization. Um, and I think all these years later, they've built a $5 billion business <laughs> off gut. So have we instituted analytics and data and research and segmentation and white space analysis yes to a point will we ever be like a coke or a johnson and johnson with data no i don't think so because that again that would change the authenticity the dna of our company so we're using data to to either reinforce decisions or to better guide conversations in dialogue but still it comes back to like what's right for the brand what's right for the business what are we seeing? Like, forget the data for a minute. Let's go out to some events and talk to consumers and see what's happening. And that's still how we handle a lot of our business to this day. So it, it is interesting. There is this, and it's, I'm assuming too, for a company that has had such success, like you said, $5 billion company, has there been sort of open arms to a more strategic approach using data? I mean, obviously that's what they charged you with doing. Is this something that you work on a daily basis to say like, no, really, we should look at what the data says. Like, is there a, are you doing a lot of internal sales on it as well? Or has this been yeah, sort of so, like established? I mean, look, I, they could have very easily gone outside the business and found someone with 15, 20 years of insights experience. They, I think they chose someone inside because the internal piece is so important. The relationships, we have other departments that are, are, are using analytics and data across category management, our strategic initiatives, et cetera. So I would say data is becoming a more and more important part, but again, it's, it's figuring out the right places and the right times to use it. If you want to walk up to our CEO's office with, with a bunch of spreadsheets and PowerPoints, <laughs> go find a new job at that point. It's, it's a balance. Yeah. It's like, I'm the founder. I made this with my gut. You're not telling me that with an Excel spreadsheet. Exactly. Exactly. So it's, it's, it's a balance. And again, we, we have this ability to quickly innovate and put stuff out there. 
And the company's okay with taking risks. We're not a company that's going to build things out for three years and look at all this research. It's let's put it out there. Let's see what works and we'll quickly move and adapt. Um, and, and that's a piece of it. But I appreciate that a lot of our sponsorships have been very steady over the years. UFC, X Games, Pro Bowl riding, um, Formula One with Lewis Hamilton, Valentino Rossi, Tiger Woods. We do go out there a little bit with Tiger Woods. We're not in golf. We're not going into golf. But we wanted one of the baddest asses on the planet <laughs> be with us. Is there an it's internal good. badassery scale that you guys look right. at? Right. <laughs> uh, you know, a little bit. Gronkowski, like he's the ultimate frat guy. We're not going into football, but we are finding personalities. And I think that's our way of continuing to grow and evolve uh, with sports, you know, getting younger with esports and gaming with Team Liquid and some of those groups. So I think there's there's an evolution. Our, our, our audience is continuing to grow older. How do you stay young and relevant and authentic? Like those are all pieces of the puzzle. So it's, it's an evolution. And I would say data is a piece of that, but it's, it's still a lot of discussions and ultimately gut. Right. There's qualitative and quantitative parts associated with that decision-making. Let's talk about decision-making for just a minute, if you will. Can you give us like a sketch of like how a sports property comes into the monster fold and how decisions are are made on it? Is it somebody saying, hey, we should seek this one out? Or how does that generally work so, from your perspective? Um, we, have, we have a very savvy sports marketing group. They're, they're not in the office often. They travel the world. They are, they are in the scene. So we have a group of people that are in the skateboarding scene, in the snowboarding scene, surfing, motorsports, et cetera. So a lot of it's relationship-based but it's, they're not digging into data of who's up and coming. They're, they're in the scenes, they're at the skate parks, they're talking to people, they're seeing what's happening online. And a lot of that's organic, but for a lot of our sports marketing folks, they're former athletes themselves. So it's a lot easier for us to go and have that relationship than maybe a more traditional company they're approaching from an agency or something else. Um, so I would say it happens that way, but it happens like anything else. There are proposals that are sent in, you know, from there, it, it varies. There's, I wouldn't say there's, there's one way to get in the door, but it's, it's really about stepping back and going, what is Monster or X brand trying to accomplish? How do we help them with that? Yeah, we talk to salespeople all the time and try to reinforce that idea of that initial research that you're doing for the target you're trying to pitch to or get in the door of. That's the difference maker. You can't go in cold and say, hey, tell me about your company because there's just too many competing voices that are trying to do that exact same thing. So the only way to really separate yourself is have at least a fundamental understanding of what, to your point, Brand X or Monster is trying to accomplish. There's too many companies, and I learned this from Mars and even my Teambo days, uh, sports properties, festivals, et cetera, that go in, they have an hour meeting and they spend 45, 50 minutes talking about themselves, their assets, their partners, what they want to sell you. And then they have 10 minutes to quickly go. So what matters to you? And that needs to be reverse engineered. You need to do some homework before you even reach out to them. You need to understand if it's Mars, it's probably primary grocery shopper as their target. It's mom and dad, but really mom that's controlling a lot of those decisions and going, what else can I learn about their business? Let me think about candy. It's seasonal, but obviously impulse. How can we help them maybe with 
continuing to sell more product or with monster 18 to 34 year old male, you know, that blue collar worker, that's, that's our consumer. How can you help us reach that consumer in a better way than we're doing today? It needs to be about that. Such a great answer. And I really want to just come through the screen and hug you right now for saying that because <laughs> it's just so spot on. All right. Now, look, we're getting close to wrapping up here and I don't want to leave before I ask you to look forward a little bit because I mean, clearly COVID aside, because this has been just a different, that's just been a, this, that has been, this is, I don't know where we are with COVID right now. Yeah. It's just a sort yeah. of a different period of time. Right. So you've obviously seen the industry change quite a lot. You know, what's going to be the evolution of sports marketing as it goes forward from your position on the brand side? What, what do brands really need to pay attention to when they're considering both how sports can impact the brand, but also some of the other essential components of the, of the marketing funnel as we go forward? Yeah, I think, look, it's a good question. I don't know that I have a perfect crystal ball with it, but... Come on, uh, why don't I invite you on, man? I, I know, the, right? It was for the crystal ball. Fair. <laughs> for me, it's it still is about customization. How do we find um, that way to reach the consumers within that audience that we want to reach? So if you want to call it segmentation, even within call it the NFL universe or the basketball universe or action sports or whatever it is. How do we reach those consumers that are our target even within that? Um, so I think customization is going to be a bigger piece. And obviously you see that happening at the arenas, at the festivals, you know, uh, the metaverse, whatever that's going to become as a piece of it. Um, but for all the fans that don't get to have those experiences and they're at home, how do you give them that additional sort of very custom look and feel of like, oh, I, I felt like I was there. I got a real unique look inside the locker room or inside the car before the race started or whatever. I think you'll continue to see that evolve. Obviously, I think the continued emergence of esports and gaming, things now like drone racing league, I think just uh, technology and, and sport will continue to um carve out new lanes, if you will. Yeah, this and convergence, think, right? Yeah, data and insights, no question. I mean, we're continuing to just better learn and understand uh, consumers, their habits, things are shifting on the go and how do we respond to that? So I think those are pieces. I don't know if that's the, the perfect answer, but it's- uh, it's, it's, the perfect answer for, it's the perfect answer for today. Lastly, and to wrap up, you're a guy who's worked with Eminem Mars, um, you're currently working with Monster Beverage. Yeah. How? What is your dental hygiene habit like? How do you keep your teeth in your head, man? Uh, a, a lot of flossing, a lot of brushing my teeth, <laughs> and uh, some praying at night. That's about it. <laughs> Phil Greco of Monster Beverage, thanks so much for spending time with us. A great conversation. Some really great takeaways. Uh, look forward to catching up with you again soon, man. Likewise, I really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for listening to this ADC Partners podcast. For more information about ADC Partners, please visit our website at adcpartners.com.